Oh, am I too far forward? How's that little sound check now? Is that all right? Good, we can carry on. Is that good? I'm getting a thumbs up from the, from the back. Great. Uh, really good to see you. If you're, if you're visiting here or new, uh, I'm Tim. I'm the vicar here. We are, as uh, Lids mentioned, we're working through a series on, on God's words of life to us. They are popularly known as the Ten Commandments, but that sounds a bit austere and foreboding. And um, whilst many of them are phrased or termed in the translation, we have, you know, thou shalt not, which sounds like sort of the head teacher wagging his finger at you yet again. Uh, that isn't the spirit behind it. The spirit behind the ten words are to enable us to live well and to live lives that make God look good. So I'll tell you, the, the, uh, I'm going to read from various sections, but why don't you put your finger in page 917, page 917, which is Matthew chapter 5. And I'm, I'm, what I'll do is I'm, I'm going to read four references in, in kind of chronological order. So that's the third one. If you just have that open and I'll read very quickly some references from um, elsewhere. So, um, so from Exodus 20 um, and verse 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Leviticus 19, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Verse 12, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And here we are in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Jesus, in what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, he says, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oaths you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, he says this in uh, chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. I know we've just prayed, but again, Lord, that these words of truth, of life, as they speak through Scripture, we pray, Holy Spirit, impress them upon our hearts, our minds, our lives. Shape us to live truthfully, to reveal your light and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, in the time-honored words of the public speaker, before I speak I'd like to say something um, it just is this is the, these these invites here are such a great opportunity I, I find this time of year, you know you kind of oh how do I break into or talk to someone you know maybe I don't know them that well a colleague at work or whatever and I, I, I just say do, do, can I ask do you celebrate Christmas because not necessarily when someone's a different religion maybe they don't um, or, or maybe someone avowed atheist and so they don't so maybe it's not a 
kind of safe assumption, but most people probably do. Do you celebrate Christmas? Oh yeah, we have family around, a big meal, little presents, go, go out, whatever. I said, yeah, yeah, um, me too. Uh, and as part of the celebration, oh, I love singing a few carols, love going to, my church is, is uh, holding a kind of carol fest. Do you want to come along? And, and then you just got the easy invite in. So most people celebrate Christmas, use that as the, as the entree. Um, and just on, I know we're talking about money quite a lot. And uh, um, again, if you're new or visiting, we don't often talk about money. Those of you who are regular, you'll be aware we, we have been talking about money because it's part of our worship it's it's a way in which we can display that these things don't hold us we, we sit light to them all we steward our possessions and our stuff and our life um, God gives it to us and we give it away you can give it specifically to living space as Laura outlined because this is what what's so what's so amazing about this opportunity for us here now why we are so privileged uh, as opposed to people 10 years ago or 10 years hence or even 10 months hence is that we here have an opportunity to transform this building that will make an impact in this community for 50 to 100 years it's, it's going to absolutely change the way in at the moment we're meeting in secret no one out there knows we're in here they see the lights on i think oh someone's left the lights on from that museum They've got no idea that this is a worshipping community open every single day of the week, pretty much, doing all sorts of things from toddler groups to seniors' teas and everything in between. But once we let them have a glimpse, and we are the ones privileged to change this building to reflect this church, we're the ones, the chosen ones. We, we are the Messiah complex. And uh, we've got uh, a hundred, a little bit more thousand to go. And the community are going to play their part. We hope and pray, and we're going to play our part too. And we're going to get there, and it, we're going to transform this place. Uh, so that's the one-off giving. And you know, the other day, just on regular giving, um, someone was in uh, the office, and uh, they've been on the recovery course. And I love this story. They were just chatting with us, and they said. Um, God, via the recovery course, has changed my life. And I used to spend X amount of money feeding my addiction. And recovery has helped me to uh, be in abeyance on, on the, uh, uh, with my former addiction. And so the money I used to spend feeding my habit, I want to spend on the one who's released me from it. So she took one of these parish giving schemes and uh, filled it in. I thought, what a beautiful way to worship God. What a wonderful way to express your release and your freedom. And if God has released you, blessed you, freed you in whatever way, there, there's no better way to express it than in singing and in being part of a life group and being part of this church and giving financially. It, it doesn't hold me. He holds me and releases me to, to invest in the kingdom. So why don't you, if you haven't already, take one of these parish giving schemes forms. They explain everything, set it all out, how to fit in, what, what it will goes to and um, that just helps to sponsor this place and the, the, the life and the ministry of God in this place. So uh, the parish giving scheme. Okay, back on. Do not bear false witness. Uh, our ninth word, or to put it positively, positively, tell the truth. Tell the truth, be truthful. We, we had Joe and I, we had a remarkable um, purely by chance, uh, an experience about 25 years ago, uh, it was 1993, yeah, we, we queued up and got into the gallery of the House of Commons to watch um, parliamentary debate. 
uh, a few people you can sit in the gallery. And we had no idea uh, until the actual day. We thought, oh wow, this could be interesting. When um, Patrick Mayhew, who was the Minister of uh, Secretary of State for Northern Ireland at the time, he was making a statement to the House uh, about the fact that actually, yes, the government had been in secret talks with the IRA. Um, this was this is history now, this is way before all the peace talks, way before the Good Friday Agreement. In fact, this disclosure paved the way for the Good Friday Agreement, which changed the course of um, history, modern history, in, our, in the United Kingdom, uh, the mainland and Northern Ireland, and, uh, and, and with Ireland. Um, but in, in uh, making this disclosure, he greatly angered um, Ian Paisley, who was head of the DUP at the time, and uh, he stood up to speak, invited by the speaker, and he accused Patrick Mayhew and um, the government at the time of, and I quote, falsehoods and lies. I don't know if you've ever been in the House of Commons. It's, it's, it's actually way smaller than you, you, you think on telly. You get the impression it's quite a big place. It's this tiny little room, and it was packed for this statement, standing room only. And in the, where we were in the balcony, we couldn't see, because the DUP sat quite a way back, we couldn't see Paisley. But Paisley, if you, I don't know if you remember him, he's, he's uh, dowed now, but he was this large, he was a huge figure with this big, booming voice. So we couldn't hear him, but boy, could we hear him. And the house, you could hear a pin drop as he stood up and he accused everyone of falsehoods and lies. It was, it was that dramatic, I mean, but deeper and more resonant than, than ever I could make it. And the whole, it was just, do you remember, wasn't it? It was, okay, that's not a good impression, but uh, uh, it, was, it was hairs on the back of your neck thing. And here's the thing. The speaker said, um, I beg the honorable gentleman to retract his statement because it is a convention in the House of Commons that you cannot accuse a fellow MP of lying, a, a right honourable member of wherever. They're, they're right honourable, and therefore, by assumption, they don't lie. And therefore, in any debate, you are not allowed to accuse a fellow MP of lying. And Paisley wouldn't. In fact, he repeated it. He said, this government is, is guilty of falsehoods and lies. And so, as convention dictates, the speaker had to, uh, the whole house had to recess and, and um, Paisley had to leave and wasn't allowed back. He was kind of sent to the naughty step uh, for, for what he'd done. I was, it was sheer drama. I mean, kind of only in this country, in a sense. But because uh, the accusation of the heart was about truth and where truth lies. Now, I'm not going to get into a debate about whether the government had been lying, whether they were right to conceal the conversations that we're having. That's maybe small group discussions and uh, moral issues. When, if ever, is it right to be economical with the truth? But we kind of, it's interesting, isn't it, that MPs, as this convention, you can't accuse them of lying, and yet, you know the old joke, and it's unfair of politicians because it could apply to many trades, including at times, sadly, the church. But how can you tell when an MP is lying or a politician is lying? Because their lips are moving. Budum ching. It is unfair because um, actually you could accuse several other walks of life of, um, well, what was once described of um, Winston Churchill as terminological inexactitude. Uh, or we have the phrase, don't we, now, post-truth. That was the word of the year, in, or the phrase of the year in, in 2016. Um, after much discussion, debate, and research, the Oxford Dictionary's word of the year 2016 is post-truth, 
an adjective defi defined as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. I'll read that again. This is the definition of post-truth, an adjective defined as relating to or donating circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. And it's in that context that we wonder whether Scripture still speaks to us today. The Old Testament part of Scripture still speaks to us today. Do not bear false witness. Do not lie to your neighbors, Leviticus expands it. Uh, do not swear oaths and, and bring down the name of God or any others, including your own name. There's honor in your name. Don't debase it. Or put positively, speak truth. Objective fact. It's really interesting that a uh, little word study on the corresponding commandments. Um, I, I've been kind of tending to go to Exodus and, and Lydia's tended to go to Deuteronomy. It's absolutely fine, kind of where the, the, the two um, commandments, these words of God are, are set out. And it's really interesting, they, they, the English translation comes out more or less the same. But actually the Hebrew words are different words. So in Exodus it's um, the word seker, I don't know if I've pronounced it right, S-E-Q-E-R. And in Deuteronomy 5 it's the word saw, S-A-W as it's translated, transliterated into the English from the Hebrew um, letters. Seca, in Exodus 20, it's, it's lying, deceiving, being untrue, being fraudulent. Uh, and saw, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 5, it's about being worthless or useless or, or kind of nothing, a, a sort of emptiness. So you see how those two words kind of complement the whole idea of, of either deliberately deceiving or of just speaking stuff that is worthless. It, it's, it kind of, you know, it's, it's as soon as the breath comes out, it's just, it just dissipates. It's nothing. There's this idea of our speech having truth content. Truth reality is, is what God has designed us to do and to be and to speak. So just as... Um, People were prone to be fraudulent then through, um, I don't know, the, the, the sale of your livestock or the farming of your land. So today, uh, I mentioned lots of areas, not just in politics, sales and marketing. I often wonder as I go past certain shops on the high street and I see there's a 70% discount, 70% off. And I think, how can that business survive if, if it takes its true value and reduces the true value of its stock by 70%. Was there really no markup to start with? Honestly? Then how are you still in business? Because those 70% signs were evident several years ago and yet you're still there on the high street. Hmm. Or the way in which adverts describe things, nuancing, the latest, a new invention. How many more new ways are there of creating soap? I mean, it's just stuff that washes or it doesn't. Is it really new and improved or are you just trying to lull us in? Sport, batsman, snick, whoa, I didn't really touch it. I'll wait and see if the umpire gives me the benefit of the doubt. You know, cricketers, you know whether you've edged it. If you've edged it, you walk. If I don't walk, 
I can't get how footballers now, they still dive. There are, in the premiership, there are about 20 different camera angles. You really think you're going to get away with it? But they dive to try. I mean, it's linked in with other, like we've said, other commandments. It's stealing, in a sense. I'm trying to gain an advantage. I'm not being true, I'm not being honorable. Athletes, yeah, really, I really am that fast. I didn't use a banned performance-enhancing performance drug. I'll conceal that reality in order to gain an advantage. They, they swear by their own ability. Uh, no, honestly, I am that quick. I am that powerful. Hmm, maybe not. The church, certain wings of the church, we've abused trust. We've said, no, you can, we are a trustworthy organization. I am a trustworthy leader. And uh, possibly worse than all the examples I've, I've, uh, I've offered thus far, children and vulnerable adults have uh, been abused by that trust because we've presented one thing and actually acted in another way. We've not been truthful. We've borne false witness. All of us, actually, if we're honest, <laughs> if we are truthful with ourselves, we... We kind of distort the truth. We, we lie. If we're really honest, we lie a lot of the time. I'll just be five minutes when we know we'll probably be ten. Uh, I'll be with you. I'm stuck in traffic. No, there isn't any traffic. You're just late. But I don't want to admit that I'm late. So I'll just, you know, cushion the truth to make me sound a little bit more acceptable. I meant to, uh, sorry, I ran out of time this afternoon. I know uh, I saw a website that uh, had a various stats on how often uh, employees, or how many, it was how many hours of work are lost through employees taking a sickie. In other words, you know, uh, time off work for sickness, but not really, just to taking a bit of extra Christmas shopping. Uh, it was how, sort of how much money's lost, and, uh, wages lost, time lost, through just a distortion of the truth. No, a lie. A lie. <laughs> According to one survey, we are lied to every five minutes every day. The whole of our society, including us, we collude with it, are breaking this the spirit behind this ninth word. Speak the truth. Don't bear false witness. Uh, there's a book I want to read. It's on Lydia's desk. Uh, and, and Lydia is reading it actually at the moment and she sits next to me. And so I feel like I'm reading it because it's a little bit sketch sort of fed across to me, including this tantalizing quote. It's called, it's by Abdu Murray. And the book is called Finding Meaning and Clarity in a Post-Truth World. It's the kind of book that I sort of dream about reading. And it's the kind of book that Lydia actually reads. But he's, he sums up one of his chapters like this. Confusion is embraced as a virtue and clarity shunned as a sin. The answer to life's questions no longer need to correspond to clarity. They only need to satisfy our desires. So I'll read that again. Confusion is embraced as a virtue nowadays in a post-truth world. And clarity is shunned as a sin. The answer to life's questions no longer needs to correspond to clarity they only need to satisfy our desires. 
and we could discuss the extent to which we agree with that statement. It, it sort of resonates with our experience in everyday life. But here, I want to offer is a, is a reality, a, a truth. We were made by the God of truth. John tells us that when Jesus came and lived amongst us, he was the, what Hebrews actually says, he was the exact representation of God. And John tells us that this exact representation of God was full of grace and truth. So Jesus shows us that the one who made us is full of truth. We often say God is love. He is. God is love. But God is also truth. You slice God open and love pours out. You slice God open and truth pours out. And we are made in his image. Let us make man in our image to love and to be true to him or herself and to others around. And ultimately to be true to the creator who made us so that we we walk in perfect step and harmony with him. Truth full E. We hate it. We hate it when we are deceived. We hate it when people lie to us. Because it 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 kind of clashes against the reality of what we know of ourselves deep down. We are made to be truth by truth. So when someone else tries to distort that truth by conveying something to us or presenting something to us that isn't true, it, it clashes, it jars. And effectively what it says is, you think I'm less than who I am. I am made in the image of truth. And you're trying to tell me that I'm not that. You're trying to to fob me off with something that isn't true to who I am. That's why we don't like it. It undermines who we, deep down, we know who we are and how we're made. It dishonors us. It devalues us. You think you can get away with fobbing me off. I'm made to speak truth and to live in and amongst truth. That's how we flourish. So when we break this command, or this command is broken in our orb or sphere, it impacts our hearts. And that's what Jesus speaks to. He he knows how sin sickens the heart. And so he's speaking to it here. Again, as we've seen um, in Jesus' take of the law, two or three times in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, you can see it at the start of most of these sections. You've heard that it was said, but I say. You've heard that it was said, but I say. And Jesus comes. He's not coming to, to, to nullify the law. Do you not think I've come to abolish the law, he says. I've come to fulfill it. I've come to take the law and amplify it, color it in. Show you how it affects not just your mind and your surroundings, but your very essence. And that's why it sounds when we first read it, oh my goodness, Jesus is a bit strong. But he's just, he's not faffing around, he's just coming straight to the issue. 
You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the law the oaths you have made. This is the reference to the Leviticus uh, readings, Leviticus 19 that I uh, read just a few minutes ago. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven or by earth or by things around uh, Jerusalem. Do not swear by your head if you cannot even make one hair white or black. I think it's a sort of equivalent. I, I promise, I swear to you. We say, I, I swear it's true. We've got a juicy bit of gossip. I want other people in on this. I, say, I, I promise, I swear. And Jesus is saying, why do you need to do that? If it's true, it'll be obvious. You don't need to add to that. Let's just peel it away. Let's get into our hearts and try and understand why they are so sickened by this truth decay that impacts the whole of our society. Deep, deep down, and the psychologists will back this up, they're only backing up what scripture has already told us. Deep, deep down, we're made to feel, to know ourselves to be safe and significant. We're made to be secure and, and to matter. Christian thing you've heard this said but I I, I keep repeating it it's worth repeating because you'll hear thousands of messages out there that will will thin this out or cause you to wander away from the truth that God holds us secure Jesus taught us to pray our father there's no greater security than being held by a father who loves you and that is what makes us so significant he's not just a dad he's the God of the universe he's the king of kings he is the eternal father. Can't get much more significant than that to be held by someone who is always father, full of grace and truth. Psychologists will tell you that, that um, we have a tiny little sort of segment of our brain, the amygdala, and it releases cortisol when it feels threatened, when a situation threatens our security. And uh, cortisol is the kind of adrenaline thing that, that basically enables you to decide immediately, do I fight this or do I... F- flee away, fight or flight. And it's an involuntary reaction. You can't do anything about it. Apparently, the psychologist tells us that that once every 15 seconds or so, you are at a deep, deep level, you're asking yourself, am I safe? Sometimes you're conscious of that when you go to a new place or you meet a new friend or you you, you go to a new experience. Uh, You do something for the first time. You're conscious of, am I okay? Am I wearing the right thing? Am I the right person in the right? You know, know, is this the right place? Am I on time? Those are all those kind of questions. You know, have I got this right? Have I got it right? Am I okay? Is, am I safe? Most of the time, like I hope now, you're not conscious of asking yourself, am I safe? Am I okay? But you are. Subconsciously, you're just checking in all the time. Am I okay? Am I okay? Am I okay? And, and God, God, God is, that's why, that's why we need to be full of the Spirit and live by the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God all the time is going, yeah, you're fine. You're a child. I'm like, you're my child. Yeah, you're fine. I love you. You're safe all the time. And as we learn to trust that, we, we can kind of quieten the, the, the voice so it doesn't flare up. We deep, deep down, we long to be safe. We're made to be safe. And out of that flows our significance because I know I'm safe and secure. Then I can begin to offer that safety and security to to others. Basic human need of our heart to be secure and to be significant. So here's the question. 
Why do I lie? Why do I massage the truth? Why do I look to deceive? Two basic reasons. I lie to gain something that I want or to avoid something that I don't want so that I can feel safe and secure and significant. I lie to gain what I want. I desire approval. I want to be accepted. So do you. Kind of made that way. And if I creep away from the God who accepts me, from the eternal Father who holds me, if I creep away from that active knowledge by the Spirit, then I'll, I'll seek that approval elsewhere. And if I don't think I'm getting it, then I'll distort truth in order to get it. Or if I'm feeling rejected, I'll lie to avoid that. If I feel your disapproval, if I feel I'm threatened in some way, I'll do anything to avoid that situation. So basically, we lie to gain what we want or to avoid what we don't want because we aren't totally convinced that we're safe and secure and significant. Um, James Brian Smith, who's written The Good and Beautiful Life, which is a kind of commentary on uh, this, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And he tells this example of a, a colleague of his that he worked with uh, who was um, kind of a little bit senior than him and really well-read, really bright, articulate colleague. And, and on a fairly regular occasion, he would say to, to James, oh, have you, read, have you read such and such? Or have you read this article? Or did you read that manual? Or have you read this or that? And James desperately sought his approval. He, he wanted this senior colleague to think well of him. And he didn't want to come across as if he you know, was a complete ignoramus. I hadn't read any of these things. So even though he hadn't read them, he said, oh, oh yeah, yeah, no, I did, did see that. He craved the approval of actually someone other than the father. And that's what caused him to come out of kilter with the truth of the father in order to big himself up with this colleague. I fear your rejection. Uh, my Myers-Briggs um, personality profile is e ENFP. Uh, and uh, they, someone d developed a... Um, I'm not bound by that, by the way. It's just my sort of, if you like, my default. And, uh, uh, but someone came up with a, a prayer for every single Myers-Briggs uh, personality indicator. And the prayer for my one... By the way, I should say a, a trait of ENFP, and it's certainly a, a trait of mine. Talk to, to Joe and to colleagues, I'll tell you. Is that I'm quite easily distracted. <laughs> Joe, Joe basically says um, uh, to, to ha sort of house guests or people who are staying, they say, can I just tell you, if Tim offers to make you a cup of tea, and if it hasn't come to you in the next three or four minutes, you're probably not going to get it. Because <laughs> he's gone to put the kettle on, and then while he's waiting for the kettle, he's got distracted. I, it, I, I confess it's a trait of, of mine. That this prayer, of an, an e, e, a prayer for an ENFP is, Dear Lord, please help me to stay focused and not get distracted. Oh, look, a bird. And I, 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 I exercise this God-given role of leadership. And I don't want you to think, I would like you to think that I'm organized and that I've thought things through and that, um, and that I've got everything under control. 
And if I'm honest, I fear that, and so I'm, I'm, I've trumped you because I've confessed it, but I fear that you will discover that I'm actually pretty chaotic or disorganized. Um, and so if someone says to me, Tim, did you think, have you, have you remembered to do this? Or did you remember to do that? I lie. I'm, I'm working on it. I really don't want to lie, but I can tell you a number of times in the past, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Go and organize it. Because I've, I fear your disapproval. I, I fear that you'll think, Tim's not a great leader. And, and when I'm in that train of thought, I've stepped out of what my heavenly father thinks of me. He called me into this place. Actually, that's another story, but I definitely know he did. And I know that I'm meant to be here. And he's given me the ability to lead in all sorts of ways. And wonderfully, he's given me a staff team and a church family who will manage my weaknesses <laughs> so that I can play to my strengths and not worry about those things and get all insecure and fear your disapproval so that I, I don't have to lie. So I can just say the truth. I'm so sorry. I, I, I haven't done that yet. I'm really sorry. Laura. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke <laughs> Jesus says I've not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it he's come to transform the law the law that says you shall not lie from a command into a promise you, you shall not lie why would you need to lie I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to show you what it is to be loved by the eternal Father. How good is that? that that's the bit about the oath-taking, I think. I mean, he's, he's not saying um, don't take oaths. If, you, if you're a witness in a court uh, in a court case and they hold the Bible and you swear to tell the truth and the whole truth, then do that. But what he's really saying is live your life so truthful you're so full of truth that you don't need anything to back it up it's just so evident because Jesus has fulfilled the law and therefore you are totally secure and safe in him I might put it another way and ask of myself and ask of you when you lie when I lie when I'm not totally truthful, is it because I've forgotten who I am in Christ? So when I'm less than 100% truthful, do I need to get back to my identity in Christ? To who I am, to who he tells me I am. The one who is full of grace and truth. And who secures me with that knowledge. So when we think about Saw and Seca, these worthless, empty or useless uh, words in the Old Testament, or, or untrue and fraudulent, can we get rid of the, the empty, the, the, the vacuous, the nothing? If we receive what we suspect might be gossip, hmm. You know that mnemonic, think, T-H-I-N-K, think, T, is it truthful? Is it true? Is what I've heard true? I, 
I don't know, maybe. But until I know, why don't I just hold it? Is it helpful? I pass that on. Does it, how does that help the situation? I take that on. I mean, it might be juicy. It might be tantalizing. But is it helpful, actually? How does that build up the body? How does that grow or encourage others? Is it eye-inspiring? Or does it actually pull someone down? Is it necessary? So many of our words, actually when we analyze them, they're not that necessary. Proverbs 10 says, when words are many, sin is not absent. Sometimes just to zip it, <laughs> it's not true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, or kind. Think, that little mnemonic. When, I, when I'm about to open my mouth, James, in his letter, has quite a bit to say about the tongue. It's 0.05% of the body, and yet it does a disproportionate amount of damage. Think, is it true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, kind? And what about, the, what about the words that build up? What about the opposite of emptiness, the opposite of deception? What about truth and reality and, and, and kind of stuff of substance? Can we speak those things? Because they have a far greater impact than just the words themselves. I, I, was, um, I know I've given this illustration before of a, a friend I sadly I've lost touch with. I trained with her as a teacher. She's called Ali O'Neill. And um, she's from Middlesbrough. And she was, <laughs> she was fantastic. Wasn't a Christian. But she just, she was ruthlessly disciplined to tell the truth. Sometimes it was almost sort of painful. I, and I realized the sort of, I would often tell little white lies just because, like, you know, um, oh, Tim, I th- I, you know, how come you're late? And there was maybe quite a complicated reason as to why I was late. It was, I did this and then something that happened and boom, 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 and so I'm late. And so... I, I could tell you the whole complicated reason as to why I'm late. I'd just say, oh, the, um, the traffic. Because, you know, it's inconsequential. I mean, I'm here now. Let's just get on. Um, you're just probably making conversation. You know, I'm doing all those judgment calls. So do I need to tell you the exact reason? No, I don't. So I'll tell you a little white lie. She never did that. She never did that. So she oh, well, the reason why I was late was because... And she'd, she'd explain. Sometimes you go, oh, sorry, I, I didn't, I wasn't, when I asked that, I didn't, oh, okay, but you're telling me anyway, okay. <laughs> but you see, if she didn't lie in the little inconsequential things, I began to trust, me a Christian, she not a Christian, I began to trust that if she would not lie in the little inconsequential things, she almost certainly wouldn't lie when it really mattered. And, and here's this. When she was telling me, in truth, the reason why she was late, what was she doing? She was saying, I don't want to lie to you because I value you as a person. I I want you to know the truth, even about inconsequential things. Because if I say to myself, I haven't got time to explain to you, maybe it's, I haven't got time for you. Or if I can't be bothered to go through all the reasons Maybe we're actually saying, I can't be bothered with you. And with Alison, I knew myself to be highly valued as a friend and a colleague because she always relentlessly told the truth. Wow. I trained to teach over 30 years ago. And I haven't, if I'm honest, she went to her school and we've we've kind of, we've been in touch with her. I've not seen her since. 
And she's one of those, I'm getting to the age now, and I sort of think, oh, there's some people I'd like to see before I die. You know, I hope I meet up with them again. <laughs> so I'm beginning to feel like I'm running out of time. And um, she is one of them. I really want to meet Alison O'Neill again. If she's listening to this on the tape, bizarrely, Alison, get in touch. <laughs> I tried to find her on social media. She's not, I can't, I haven't been able to track her down. But she has made a lifelong impression on me because of the way she handled truth. And she, I bet she's not even aware of it. In the little incidental things, she conferred value. You can, you can, we can do that. We, we have a far greater impact than we think we do when we, we truth in love. Final thing. These are the verses, uh, Meeks, if we can have them up here. This is uh, Paul writing to um, the church in Ephesus. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. And then later on, these are all in chapter four. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And then do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And that, that first reference, speaking the truth in love, our English translation can't cope with the Greek because it literally is truthing in love. The verb is in the truth. Not, and what does that look like? So, so they, the English has said, well, will make most sense of it if we say speaking the truth in love. But it, it isn't just about our words, it's about our living. We might say living truthfully in love. I quite like that truthing, the literal truthing in love. Just everything we do and everything that we are, as well as everything that we say, is truth. Because it's so beautiful, it, it lines us up with our creator. It conveys what we are created to be to others. It confers honor on them. Because I'm truthful and you're made in the image of him who is truthful. And as I truth to you, you come into truth and maybe into relationship with the God of truth. So this Advent, as we think about preparing for a light uh, in the darkness, one of the ways in which we can live light is by truthing in love the ninth commandment. Don't bear false witness. Be truthful. Amen. Let's have a moment. Just in the quiet and the peace and the calm for the spirit to speak to us. of words we had as we were praying before the service. One was just simply gaze on Jesus. Gaze on Jesus. John describes him as full of grace and truth. Maybe that's a word in season for someone here. Just to gaze on Jesus. The, the beauty of his truth. The truth of his beauty. Someone else had a picture of um, a rope, so, so something being tied like on a, in the context of sailing. You know, you tie down a rope really securely and it's almost impossible to undo the knot. And they saw in this picture the, the knot being immediately released. And um, whatever was, you know, tightly bound, tied 
by this knot was immediately released. It didn't take sort of hours of worrying away at the rope. Um, it, it happened. It was a, a something that was, you know, a very knotty release. The, the sense in the picture was of of an immediacy. And I don't know if there's anything that the Lord's maybe been saying to you as I've been speaking, just around this whole area of truthing in love, of being true to who we are that the Spirit wants to unlock in you, to release in you, to untie in you. I, I think the promise is, it will. you think, oh gosh, this is going to take months to sort out. And, and the Spirit of God is saying, boom, now. And the freedom comes. 